if you would please. In this Connect series on uh, what we believe, we have already looked at the Bible, we have looked at God the Father, we have looked at God the Son, we have looked at God the Holy Spirit, and we've looked at the church. These are our core beliefs. And today, we're going to take a look at two more. The first one we're going to look at is man. Man. You and I. When, we consider, when I talk about man this morning, I'm including everybody. That's male, female. We are going to be under one jurisdiction, so you understand that as man. And let's pray this morning. Father, bless this time together. I pray that you will comfort my cough, that it will not be a distraction, and that, God, that you will give us the attention of your people this morning. May something that is said honor and glorify you, and may it stir lives and call those to action where it needs to be called. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Our core beliefs say that we believe that all men and women of every race were created in the image of God. We further believe that humans have fallen from their original state of perfection and are now by nature and choice sinful and lost and do not possess any possible means to save themselves from their sins. You will find that under our beliefs on our website. And the first part of that is dealing with our image. Pastor Andrew mentioned it a couple of weeks ago when he preached in Genesis 1.26. And the Lord said, then God said, let us, talking about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. And so God created mankind in his own image. And in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them and blessed them. And God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. I like the way the Bible says that. Because we as human beings, we've created a lot of great stuff over the year, and we've called it awesome, we've called it magnificent, we've called it overwhelming, we've called it a lot of different things. Our cars are fantastic, getting us from one place to another. But everything that man creates at some point will fall apart. When God made something, he just simply said, it was good. Or it was very good. And you got to understand, when God said that, man was perfect. There was no, there had, the fall has not taken place yet. And so God said that all that he had made was very good. So I ask you a question that we need to think about. If God knew everything about everyone before the foundation of the world, according to Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 1, and Revelation 13, then I want to ask you the same question that Rain Grudem asked in his systematic, systematic theology book. What was God's purpose in creating man? Grudem says in, the, in his book, God did not need to create man. But we, along with the rest of creation, were created to glorify God and bring him joy. God did not create us, he was, I mean, because he was lonely or because he needed fellowship with other persons. 
God did not need us for any other reason except for his glory. Isaiah 43, 7, everyone who is called by my name, who I have created from my glory, whom I have formed and made. That's why that 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 31 tells us that whatever we do, whatever we do, we are to do it all to the glory of God. In our daily lives, we are to do whatever we do to the honor and glory of God. So what is our purpose in this life? For those of you that have been here for a long time, we used to go through the the shorter catechism. And the Westminster Shorter Catechism says the very first question, what is the chief end of man? And the answer, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. So our purpose is to to fulfill God's purpose in creating man, and that is to glorify him. David said in Psalm chapter 84, better is one day in your courts, or you're in your house, than a thousand elsewhere. I got to hear that song on the way in this morning, and I was just so blessed by it. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. But what are we doing today? Seems like we're doing just the opposite. We're ignoring God's house. And I believe that one way that you and I glorify God is by attending his house enthusiastically. I wish, I wish, and I have told Andrew this, that we could take your picture and put it on the big screen. You hearing me up there, guys? We got cameras all the way around this auditorium. And every so often, we'll put that camera on you. What would that picture be like up here? Mm -hmm. I know uh, Tara does our yearbook for our school. And if you go through that yearbook, you will see one theme from, from beginning to end. And that is, in the pictures, you're smiling. Everybody's smiling. What, you, what kind of yearbook would you be if you were just frowning all the time? It would just show well, depression, basically. But smiling shows enthusiasm. And when you enter God's house, you should be enthusiastic to be here. You ought to want to sing the songs with joy. They ought to be a blessing to you. You ought to want to be around each other. And that, now folks, being around each other, that includes all of you being around each other. Not in just your little group, just everybody being around everybody else. And enjoying each other's fellowship. That's what we are to do, to go and be around God's people. Our verses for the year, Hebrews 10, beginning of 24 says, Let us think of ways to motivate another to acts of love and good works and let us (laughs) that's all christians not neglect our meeting together not at home not on the fit not on the golf course not fishing on the lake says we need to meet together not neglect our meeting together as some people do but to encourage one another Especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. That was written almost 2,000 years ago. 
And they were talking about Christ's return then. How much closer are we now 2,000 years later? We need to be enjoying each other at church and enjoy being around, uh, uh, being here at church. God does not need us. We need him. When we begin to see what God, who God really is, the creator of everything, who deserves all praise, if we can begin to grasp a hold of this concept, our lives will change. We cannot help but to praise him with our whole heart and with our whole soul and with our whole mind and with our whole strength. Mark 12, verse 30. So how were we created in the image of God? Grudem gives a great definition for the image of God. He states the fact that man is in the image of God means that, the, that man is like God and represents God. God planned to make man similar to himself, not identical to himself. And when other people look at your family pictures, what do they see? They usually see some sort of similarity between everybody. When you show them your family picture, more than likely, they say, oh, you look like your mother or you look like your father. You look like somebody in your family. There is some resemblance. How many of you? Now, ladies, you're, 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 it's a gift from you. Men, we just kind of say it because we have no clue. But when a new baby comes into this world, okay, I don't care what kind of baby it is, it's a beautiful baby, correct? It's a beautiful baby. We guys just look at that baby, and it's a baby. We are scared to touch it. We are scared to hold it. We are scared that we are going to break that baby. But women, by the way, I found this out a few weeks ago. Ladies, you have a natural curve in your arm that men do not have made to comfort and care a baby. I thought that was interesting that I found that out. But anyway, women will take that baby, will hold that baby. I'll never forget this. Jody, my little niece, uh, who is 24 now, when she was born, she was down here. This is Terry's daughter, Amanda. Terry was petrified. This was his first child. And so he goes, how in the world am I going to wash this child, bathe this child? And so Jody says, well, bring him over. And Jody was a you know, pediatrics nurse. So Jody grabs this little tiny three-pound girl, I think. You know, she's probably more than that, but to me, she was really tiny. Jody Dunton takes her and says, all right, now, Terry, you grab Amanda and you hold her like a football. First of all, that surprised me. Jody knew about football. And she does know about football. Every Saturday, she's watching college football religiously, and Sunday, watching the professional football. She grabbed Amanda like a football and held her like a football, said, you hold her head, and then you just take this washcloth and you go, and you get her clean. Amanda crying the entire time. I was, I, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe what I saw, but that's the way you did it. I wanted to do gently, but women have another in, uncanny ability to take that baby and say, oh, you look like your mother, or you look like your father, huh? 
It's a baby. They haven't formed really much of anything yet. Oh, you have your mother's eyes. They're sleeping. How do you know? We, I mean, women are just uncanny about this stuff, you know? Um, and so, it, it, but it, when we look at our family pictures, everybody has a tendency of comparing one another because we look similar to our parents. Well, God planned to make us similar to himself. And so when other people look at you as Christians, are you representative? Are you, do you have the likeness of our heavenly Father? Is there something in your image that is a reflection of him? Do you reflect God, God's image in your life? Well, if you do, well, then how can we please God in our everyday lives? Our, our image, since Adam, has been greatly flawed by sin. But we and I, you and I, we're thousands of years removed from Adam. We still have a great opportunity to reflect God's image to others and the likeness of Christ. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is found in Galatians chapter 2.20. I like it in the King James Version, and I'm going to read it to you that way. It says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. There are four words that stand out in that verse to me when I read it. It's, it's these four words, not I, but Christ. Not I, but Christ. That is how we should live our daily lives. So how can we do this if we possess no means to save ourselves from our sins? Well, it's called salvation. It's the greatest gift that God has given to us. And I like it that because those of us who have accepted Christ as our Savior, when Christ returns, we are going to be like him. We are going to be pure, and we are going to be holy. And we will never have to worry about sin. We will never have to worry about trials. We'll never have to worry about tribulations. And we'll never have to worry about death ever again. I don't know about you, but that's rewarding to me. Because I just lost my father a few weeks ago. And he has now been walking the streets of gold, praising our Savior. And I'm sure saying, hey, God, watch out over my family, if you would, please. He is a mighty, mighty Cub fan. And I'm sure he's put in some good word because the Cubs are having an outstanding year this year. <laughs> and I'm not a Cub fan, but they're doing pretty good. But we are going to be able, we ought to be able to praise God because of our salvation. Because salvation is the work of God. Matthew 1.21 says, she shall give birth to a son, called, talking about Mary, and you are to give them the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12 says, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. We believe here in this church that salvation is based upon God's sovereign choice according to his free will, and not according to our works. Titus chapter 3 and verse 5 says, He saved us, not because of righteous things that we have done, but because of his mercy. 
he saved us. Through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Spirit. This is called regeneration. Whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. In John chapter 3, there's a story of a Pharisee. Now a Pharisee was those self-righteous they uh, adhered extremely to traditions and the written laws of the day. They were the holier-than-thous, if you would. His name was Nicodemus. And he came to Jesus by night so that he wouldn't be noticed by anyone else. And beginning in verse number 3 of chapter 3, the Bible says there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God. Notice that. We know that you are a teacher from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him and said, Truly, truly, I say unto you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, well, how can a, a man be born when he is old? Can he enter into the second time in his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say unto you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said unto you, you must be born again. Then Jesus continues, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sounds but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, to you we speak of what we know and bear witness of what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I had told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses was lifted up into the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believes in him may have eternal life. Then the world's most famous verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed of the, the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than light, because their works are evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light. And does not come into the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it might be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Nicodemus admitted to Christ's authority as a teacher. He had great reverence for Christ. But reverence and admission are not enough for salvation. There has to be a change in a person's life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. In order to be saved, you have to first of all realize that you are a sinner. 
Romans 3.23 tells us, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Not only do we have to realize we're a sinner, but you have to realize that there is a penalty for sin. That penalty for sin is death. The Bible says in Romans 6.23 in that first part, For the wages of sin is death. But I'm glad because the gospel means good news. That it doesn't end there because we know that we're sinners and we know that there's a penalty for sin. That's not very good news. But God says, we, the third thing you've got to realize is that Christ loved you and died for you. Because in Romans 5, 8 it says, but God showed his love to us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Then you have to realize your need for a Savior as God's gift to you. Romans 6, 23, I read you the first part, for the wages of sin is death, but it doesn't stop there. There's a big word called but. It says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And that's God's gift to us. And then you have to finally realize that there is only one way to salvation, and that is through Jesus Christ. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, but if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God hath raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the mouth... Confession is made unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. And then verse 13, it says, Whosoever, you and I, who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It's a no-so salvation. You don't ever have to worry about it. You don't have to wonder about it. it is, you've accepted Christ as your Savior. You, your life has been changed. You have been saved. Our beliefs tell us that salvation is obtained by grace through faith. The Holy Spirit enables men and women to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. We see a story in Acts chapter 16, verse number 14. It says, one of those listening was a, a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Lydia was a well-respected lady in the community. She had high moral values. She was a gentle person. She was a dealer in, pur in purple. And at the time, which was purple, when you dealt with purple linen, it was more valuable than gold was. But no matter how religious Lydia may have been, as she looked at, you know, as other people would see her on the outside, there had to be a response to the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And she says she was a worshiper of God. But then the Bible says the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Salvation is something that you cannot do on your own, no matter how good you think you are. I love going to some funerals of people who you know were not saved, and the only thing that they can say, well, this person was such a good person. I have been and I have stood at, at, at gravesides of people who have been convicted of murder several times over, and the only thing they'll say is, this was a per good person. This was a great person. You know, I couldn't believe what I was hearing. But they tried to do that, I believe, to ease their conscience. But the Bible tells us in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is nothing we can do in and of ourselves, folks. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith. 
not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Have you ever received a gift? I'm sure you all have. There are two things that you can do with a gift, isn't there? What are those two things? You accept the gift or you reject the gift. There's nothing else you can do. You can't say to the person, well, hey, let me give you some money for that gift that you're giving to me. It no longer becomes a gift, does it? A gift is somebody that gives you something out of the kindness of their heart. Here, I want you to have this. This is my gift to you. We love to exchange gifts. And I rarely, rarely, rarely have ever seen someone come up and give a gift to somebody, especially at Christmas time, and you haven't unwrapped it and say, oh, no, I don't want that. You can keep it. You know? We all think it's like, let's make a deal with our gift. Here, here's a gift, but you can trade it in on door number five over here, you know? We want to, you know, we don't know what's inside of it yet, but, you know, you, we can cha- exchange it in. That's what we want to try to think we want to do with our gifts. But gifts are something you either receive it or reject it, and the same thing is true with Christ. He's our gift from God. So I ask you a question this morning. Have you received him or have you rejected him? You say, well, I'm just giving it some thought. No, 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 that's not what my question was. There's only two things you can do with a gift. Remember that. You either receive it or reject it. And the Satan has a great line to say, wait. Wait. Just wait. You've got plenty of time to accept Christ's gift to you. Do you? Do you really? We do not know when our, what, what comes within the next few minutes, when our last breath is going to take place. We have no idea. I'll guarantee you, Pastor Summers had no idea last Monday that he was, oh yeah, I'm going to have a heart attack today. I'm going to just drive myself to the hospital. You know? No! We don't know when that next phone call that we get that says, hey, you need to come home. Dad's not doing very well. Huh. We don't know. That is why we need to make sure of it. We need to know, have we received Christ as our Savior? Have we not received Christ as our Savior? James, uh, uh, sorry. And those are the things that you have to do with those gifts. But after salvation, after we've accepted Christ, which I'm assuming that a lot of you have, that there has been a time in your life that you've accepted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you know it. Every time I go back home, I will drive by 2909 Comanche Trail in Lafayette, Indiana, and I will sit out in front of that house because I know that in that house, in the back part of that house, was a kitchen. And the kitchen table was a small little kitchen table, but five of us got around that kitchen table. And one night I asked my dad, listen, dad, I don't know what it means to be saved. My Sunday school ta- teacher asked me about salvation, and I don't understand it. My dad stopped right there eating dinner, and he pulled out his Bible, and he led me to Christ. I was responding to the gospel message from Sunday school. You Sunday school teachers that don't think things get across, the, you know, these kids, they're listening. You, they just might not think they're listening. And my dad stopped what he was doing, and he led me to Christ at that supper table. And every time I go home, I go by that house as a reminder 
of the day that I accepted Christ as my Savior as a little five-year-old boy, and I understood it. But once we've accepted Christ as our Savior, we are now empowered to serve God through our works because we are bearing spiritual fruit. Matthew 7, 20 tells us that by their fruit, you will recognize them. Our fruit is our works. But I want you to understand something, that works do not and they cannot save you. However, as Christians, the world will know that you are followers of Christ by your works. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, by which he has prepared us in advance to do. James chapter 2 and beginning in verse number 14 says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says that he has faith, but does not have works. Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to him, go in peace and be warmed and filled without giving him the things that needed for the body, what good is that, James says? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. I love this phrase. Even the demons believe and they tremble. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. They go, they go in tandem with one another. Titus 1.16 says, they claim to know God, but by their actions, by their works, they deny him. How many Christians that we think are Christians today are doing this? By their actions, you say, man, there is no way they can be a Christian. They claim to know God, but their actions are saying something else. See, see I've always, I'm a true believer in your actions speak louder than your words. There are a lot of people that talk good Christian talk, but their actions are saying a whole, another completely a whole different game. Let your actions speak like you are truly a Christian and a child of God. It continues, they are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for anything good. Galatians chapter 5, 22 says, but the fruit of the Spirit, we all talk about the fruit of the Spirit. How many of you are applying these in your lives today? Love, joy, peace, forbearance, that means patience. I don't know about you, I never asked God for patience anymore. I did, and boy, was I never, <laughs> whoo, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the fruits of the Spirit that you ought to have in your everyday lives, folks. The Bible continues, against such there is no law. Those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified, crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Because once saved, we put to death sin in our lives. Romans 6.11 says, So you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. 
Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. So what what can we do when we sin? What can we do when we sin? We confess our sins. That's where most people stop. We confess our sins. But if you read 1 John chapter 1, and it says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his son purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we declare ourselves, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim that we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. So we stop, we, do, we confess our sin, but that word talks about an about face. When we see that word confess in the Bible, it means to do about face. Not just an about face, as we see sin over here, that we are to turn and we are to confess it, but literally the translation is to run as fast as, fr- as fast as you can away from it as though sin was a lion ready to devour you. Because the Bible talks about the weak Christian. And the devil is a roaring lion going about seeking whom he may devour. You know who, who, what lions, creatures, will devour first? The ones who are the weakest the ones who are the slowest, the ones who cannot get away from the entrapment that is about to take place from the lion. We are to literally turn and run as far and as fast as we can from our sins. And then once we are saved, we are justified. I love this. We are justified. Justification, for those of you that may not know, it's a legal term that's used in a court of law that gives you the idea of being acquitted. You see, you and I, we are guilty of our sins. And we deserve the sentence that's been handed down to us, which is eternal damnation, separated from God for all eternity. However, Christ has come to our defense. He has paid our sin debt for us so that now, in the eyes of the judge, in the eyes of God Almighty, we have been found not guilty. I don't know how that makes you feel. It ought to make you feel awesome. That no matter what you have done in your life, When you give your life over to Christ, you have become not guilty in God's court. And not only are we not found guilty, I love this, we are now adopted children of God. We are adopted children of God. For Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 4, it says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption 
to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace by which he has freely given to us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through the blood, the forgiveness of sin, in accordance with the riches of great God's grace that he has lavished on us. And when you believed, you were marked with him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is now a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Romans 8, beginning in 14, says this, For those who are led by the Spirit are the children of God. The Spirit who received you does not make slaves so that you do not live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received about you Uh, The Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, and and heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in His sufferings in order that we might also share in His glory." Everything that Jesus has is ours. It's ours. Do you comprehend that this morning? When we adopted our two girls, both of them from China, when we adopted them, the day they put those children in my wife's arms, they became part of our family family forever and everything we have they have and as Christians once we have received Christ as our Savior everything that Christ has is now ours but we don't usually live like it we don't live like it but you know what I'm glad I'm a child of God I am glad that I'm able to serve God. I'm glad that I have been justified. And one day, I, and, and as I continue to live my life, I live my life as trying to be sanctified. Sanctified is nothing but more than being called out to be holy. And one day, praise God, I am going to be glorified when he returns. Romans 8.30 says, And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Because you see, we have been justified before God as though we have never sinned. We have been sanctified to be set apart and holy to serve him. And one day, which is the last stage, is going to be glorified. It's the last stage of the process of salvation. We're at the second coming of Christ we become complete in Christ, having a glorified body that will never, ever again experience any type of sickness, any type of decay. It will never die. And best of all, we will not have to ever struggle with our battles of sin ever again. I don't know about you, But I battle those sins, it seems like, every single day. And it seems like a lot of times Satan gets those victories every every single day because it seems that I'm just too weak. 
And I found out that when I am that feeling that weak, it's the more that I need to spend in God's Word and in, in reading God's Word and in prayer. Because you can't face those battles alone, folks. And if you're not reading and you're not having your own personal time of devotions every day, getting into God's Word, I don't know how you can battle Satan. Because he knows the Word of God. Yes, he twists it all the time, but he knows the Word of God. And you and I need to be just as prepared for battle as he is. So don't put it off. Don't put it off today, folks. If the Holy Spirit has been working in your life, or you don't know of a time and a place where you accepted Christ as your Savior, I, I get people all the time, I'll ask them, hey, have you ever accepted Christ as your Savior? Do you know when you got saved? And they'll, say, they'll start saying all kinds of different things, but none of them is at the point of wanting, that has they come to the point where they actually had received Christ as their Savior, realized that they were a sinner, realized that their need of Christ. It's like, oh, I, I got saved when sitting on my grandmother's lap. I got, I got saved when I was just looking up into the heavens. I got saved, and all, all the other things. You have to respond to a gospel message. You have to respond to it. The gospel message is preached here every single week, and some of you have not responded to it. The Bible even talks about there are going to be people that are going to say, hey, Lord, didn't I not go to church all the time? Did I not listen to all these messages, some boring, some good? God, didn't I do this? Didn't I go on this project? Didn't I go on that mission trip? Did I not do this? Did I not do that? God's going to say some of the most sad words in all the Bible. Huh? I never knew you. I've never, I don't know who you are. You aren't written down in the Lamb's book of life. Oh, what a sad day that would be. Standing before Almighty God and your name's not written down in glory. Folks, if it's not, take care of it today. Get it settled today. I'll be around. And for those of you that have accepted Christ, let's get busy. Let's live our lives as a reflection of our Heavenly Father. Let's take and get rid of sin in our life. Let's let our lives be changed for the good and the cause of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, it's your word. Take it, send it where it pleases you. Convict hearts and lives where needed. I pray for those that have never accepted you as their Savior, that before they leave this building, that God, that they will come and seek me out. And we can have an opportunity of showing them how they can know for sure they're saved. And then, Father, I pray for those that are saved, that have been saved some for just a few months, weeks, others for decades. God, help each and every one of us to renew our dedication for you as we go out and change this world for Jesus Christ. For it is in your name we pray. Amen. I will be around afterwards. I want to thank you all for being here. Let's stand. God bless you all. Have a great day. I'll see you on Wednesday. You're dismissed. <coughs> uh. Hello.
Thank you, man. Thank you, man. How you doing with the hernia and all? 